0: So the recorder is on and I'll count as in five, four, three. Hi there, welcome to Chinwag with me, Mike Lavery. One day I will actually get somebody to introduce this in a proper professional way. I've listened to other podcasts and they have like the jingles and graphics moving backwards and forwards. Not just this British guy in his office going, welcome to the Chinwag. I had this other idea before I started recording that I might start getting the people who I interview to do the welcome to the chinwag bit. Um but I won't I won't do it this time, but maybe next time. Okay, well with me today, um I've got a good friend of mine, his name is Josh Atwell. I first met Josh uh last year at um Rally Durham at the uh, RTP uh, technology park. And I just happened to be in town chatting with people at NetApp, and it just so happened there was a VMUG going on at the same time. So I came along and crashed the VMUG and talked far too long until they got a big stick and dragged me off the stage and said, <laughs> don't ever come back. Um, and of course, I'll pass across. We kept in touch uh, with Twitter and uh, also met at VMworld. Um, but without further ado, Josh Atwell, please introduce yourself and tell us about you, where you come from, what your experience and background is. Tell us, tell us all about Josh.
1: Hey, Mike, how's it going? It's really good uh, Good seeing you again and have an opportunity to, to chat with you. A um, little about me, you know, I started out in IT, I guess we're running on, getting close to eight years. I did a little bit of work in high school, you know, just dabbling before I went to university and went to get my engineering degree. Uh, finished that and started working at a small engineering firm uh, that did civil engineering doing desktop support and quickly, you know, Rose up the ranks and started doing server support and started dabbling into virtualization. Um, that's actually where I started doing scripting. Yeah, we were growing fast and I couldn't keep up. So I wrote scripting. Um, you know, I, I made a decision when I left there that I was going to start moving to bigger and bigger environments. And I definitely ended up in a very large environment doing uh, IT at uh, Cisco. So I work for their virtualization and UCS teams here at Cisco for internal IT. So uh, I'm not externally facing. I'm completely internally um, focused and doing a lot of uh, automation and scripting, uh, primarily with PowerCLI. That's what most people know me from. And I spend a great deal of time with that. Um, Lately, I've been doing a lot with Splunk trying to ease some of my scripting and reporting pains um, by doing some data analysis with that product. Um, So, you know, I've I've made a point, you know, throughout my career to kind of take that next step up and, make sure that I have understanding of the challenges at each level, whether it's really small business, you know, starter enterprise, um, and then huge enterprise, uh, and try to solve challenges there. It's, it's, it's been a fun ride, but it's, it's given me some great perspectives on multiple layers um, in the technology stack.
0: Now, I'm trying to resist the temptation to ask whether big is beautiful or whether uh, size isn't everything, but um, that's perhaps a, an offline discussion to have. Um, <laughs> there, there. It's it's definitely more fun. <laughs> okay. Well, we would ta- be talking offline a little bit and talking about what we would like, how we would structure things. We've got a kind of very open kind of um, topic to discuss. But I, I wanted to ask, or kind of postulate a view, which is. Is virtualization, what we have at the moment, enough? Um, Or do we need to take our infrastructures to some other place? Um, And part of the reason I'm asking this question is that I kind of get sometimes the perception that people feel the holy grail is being 100% virtualized, which it may or may not be. And they're not actually looking at other areas of their internal infrastructure, which could be more automated and more streamlined. So I guess I'll put it in a nutshell, Josh. Is virtualization enough or do we need to be doing something more now? Well,
1: you know, initially virtualization's primary concern was to provide consolidation cost savings. And um, and then when you started looking at, and, and I mentioned this in my session at VMworld, what happens is the, your demands of your consumers start to increase. And I think what we're seeing is that consumer demand is really driving whether or not virtualization is enough. Uh, within your infrastructure and, and your consumers for your data center and the and the resources that you provide, if those demands are increasing in such a way that your current staff is not able to You know, accommodate those demands in a reasonable, and timely, and consistent manner. Then you really have to start looking at ways to improve your processes and increase your time to delivery. Getting those requests provisioned and taken care of in such a way that, you know, uh, that. Your users don't care how hard it is, right? The consumers, they just don't care how hard it is. What they care about is that they make a request and it it comes in a timely manner. I mean, it used to take, what, three months to get a server provision into your environment? Virtualization came in and then you could get it within a day or two depending on how much resources your environment had to spare, uh, how well your team had planned for growth uh, and communicated with the business to determine what new applications might be needed, you know, new life cycle of existing applications as you virtualize them and increase your virtualization percentage. Um, And so then that started dropping to, well, now I need a virtual machine within the hour or within the next 15 minutes. And it really comes down to your organization, your consumers, and what your consumers' demands are. So if your consumers need it, then you need to be looking at it.
0: I mean, so the process has been shortened from three months to whatever it is. I mean, I must admit, I hear great variability in the time it takes for people to actually provision new virtual machines for a new application Mm -hmm. or even have simple things done like a firewall change might take a week as an SLA to to have, have done. I've gone from business to business and some people tell me that, oh, our DNS updates, they take seven days to take effect uh, and to be approved. And other people in in the room look upon these people with abject horror, and it takes that length yeah. of time. But I guess, um, in a way, virtualization perhaps has introduced new challenges and new uh, frustrations. Um, you know, there's no technology that is without unexpected consequences, I guess is the phrase. So, I mean, one of the yeah. things that people always talk about is... VM sprawl, you know, the proliferation of VMs, you know, not the problem that they get created uh, too slowly, but they get created too quick. And then once those VMs are done with, there isn't seems a lot of organizations don't seem to have a cleanup process to get rid of the the so-called zombie VMs. Now, I know you've worked in different size environments, but um, is VM sprawl and zombie VMs, is that an urban myth? Generated by people who want to sell you software to fix your zombie VMs problems, or is it a real reality? Well,
1: you know, it, it's it's got to be a reality because I've had instances where I've created. In fact, I know of two instances right now. We'll have virtual machines out there in our environment that were initially set up for doing a test and for me to perform a task that are actually still out there consuming resources. And, you know, shame on me. That's that's bad for me because. I'm should do better, right? Mm. But the the truth of the matter is, in that instance, I'm a consumer. I make my request, and it's there. Now, within our environment, you know, at least in the environment that I provision this, we do have a timeout policy, right? So you have to renew that virtual machine periodically um, to ensure that you still need it. And if you don't renew it, it's gone. It goes away. You know, so the 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 key takeaway there is that you know in this particular data center in this environment you know we've made it so that it is an appropriate place for you to go in and do exactly that request a virtual machine that you know you're not going to need for you know a full length of time it doesn't need to be running you know indefinitely it's something that you know you're going to use for a little while and then it it kills off and that's based on you know the a need that we saw in our environment that uh, you know, that, that we tried to address.
0: Mm. I mean, I guess you've got some automated process for that. I know in some of the businesses I've dealt with, they go, oh, yeah, we have a policy about VMs and... Um and how they get archived? There's this spreadsheet mm-hmm. which you open up on the network, and it's like, "Oh nope. no, not more blooming spreadsheets!" No, or the no. text file. Oh, no, no, because it kind yeah. of makes takes me back to a, an experience I had when I was a consultant in the last decade. Of um, the company had a spreadsheet that listed all the IP addresses, which nobody ever bloody well updated. Until the day an well, IP conflict, the IPs, right? Yeah, in turn, until uh an IP conflict took place, and a consultant had used one and not checked one out of the spreadsheet. So I guess I guess it's easy enough to say we have a policy, but I guess it's what process you put around that policy to make sure it it happens. How easy it is. I mean, I, I've noticed a big change now that I'm with VMware. There's there's a lot of policies and procedures the ones I seem to uh, engage with and deal with are the ones that are simple and easy. The ones that I still have le- yet to do by the end of the week, the week are the ones where I have to open up a VPN and log into this thing, which has a different password or whatever, and then update it. You know, I mean, no, just dis- not disparaging what we do, but I think there's a policy, but it has to have a- an engine in which that can be processed in an efficient way that's, that works. Otherwise people will go, Oh, I you know what? I just can't be bothered with that policy and that process. I will just uh, find my ways around it. Speaking of which, one of the things that you often hear about is people, you know, grabbing for their credit card and heading off to Amazon EC2 to get a virtual machine simply because they're not getting it from corporate IT quick enough. Now again, I'll ask you the same question: Is is that an urban myth created by the the new generation of cloud um, software vendors out there, or does it really? happen if you come across that yourself?
1: I personally haven't come across that specifically. Um, I certainly haven't come across it in, in our corporate environment. Mm. Uh, in previous roles I have had people that I've known um, that would want to go out and do stuff and generally speaking those, those instances of people where they wanted to try out an application Right And it wasn't approved for our environment; they didn't have access to the dev or you know dev or test space, and so they went out and they just spun up an instance, put in this application, monkeyed with it for a little while, and then decided that that they were done and No corporate data was ever transferred to that you know it was something that was completely you know independent set you know you didn't have to worry about anybody you know giving up um you know, sensitive information. Mm. But in truth, I I didn't see a problem with that, right? The environment wasn't equipped to provide what they needed. And so, and they weren't placing any corporate data there. So no harm, no foul. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I think, it comes down to the department.
0: I think you have a very valid point there, which is I don't think somebody going off and doing that in itself is a, terrible awful crime that they've committed or anything like that what's it indicative of is that well you could argue that person who does that is being very creative is being very entrepreneurial they've got a, a problem and they're working out the fastest and quickest way of yep. achieving that problem well not achieving the problem but achieving a solution right. i guess my the only analogy i have for that is when you're desperate to share a file with somebody it's very large you know you can't send it through the email you don't have access to the FTP, so what do you reach reach for Dropbox? But what it shows is there's a lack of fluidity there, isn't it, that that the person can't access the things that they should be using in a legitimate way, and therefore they have to creatively find a new way of doing it. Now, that's fine if it's for free, that's fine if it doesn't involve any corporate sensitive data, but who knows what they're putting in there? I mean, I—that's correct. Without naming any names, I've had all manner of things sent to me through Dropbox, um, yeah. because they couldn't find an easy way of, you know, of getting um, the stuff to me. And I'm like, I'm not really sure whether you should be doing this. But as an outsider, if you want to do it, then it's on yeah. your head, not on mine. You I know, don't I'm, dictate your policy, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, now, now I'm I'm with VMware. The idea of me having a Dropbox where I might share stuff. I'm much more cautious about because you don't know where that then goes after you've shared it to somebody else. I mean, you could well, argue I mean, that goes,
1: that goes with any data that you share, right? You know, anytime yeah. you share data, you have to assume that the whole world's going to see it.
0: Mm. So I think for me, that means two things. Either we have to be as efficient and easy to use as Amazon, so they're not tempted to, or alternatively, if Amazon is a suitable place for them to do their work, like in the example that you given we definitely mm-hmm. need an audit trail because i think what's funny about this is it's a bit like having a computer without a virus checker you think you're clean but how do you know That's until i have the antivirus i don't have the reassurance that i'm clean and without the audit trail i don't know what my exposure is and the idea i've had about this is in a large corporate where you may have a number of people who have corporate credit cards the price mm-hmm. of their uh, VM could be something that they actually can expense to a credit card, and it doesn't right. show, doesn't show up in an audit trail. So I, I imagine that in some big corporates, there may be like this uh, iceberg effect, where at the, at the top of the peak, where the iceberg is, you can see, yeah, right. we've got we've got some stuff in Amazon EC2, but beneath the surface of the water is this much larger unknown uh, iceberg. Of all the instances you have running of which you have no awareness about, but of course you're not worried about the thing that you're not worried about. you can't see can you um, yeah. well, I think
1: you I th- think you touched on something really
0: critical there,
1: and' it's that it's up to the business and and the the managing organization to look at those purchases and look at those and in- try to identify those instances where people are trying to go outside of the internal network mm. because i would i would postulate that more cases than not, those people are already engaged with their management saying, hey, I've got this problem. IT is not able to provide this service currently, but I've got, you know, a short period of time where I need to try to evaluate this so that we can take advantage of end of year pricing. We can take advantage of, you know, this determining whether we need to do an upgrade, do a migration to a new product, or Whatever that or I just need to test some code that i'm I'm writing, and I don't want to do it in our environment because that would be very dangerous. I mean, I know I use my home lab quite a bit because I feel safe there if I destroy something in my home lab, I don't affect anyone else it's only me, no mm-hmm. you know I'm the only one that has to spend cycles trying to rebuild or repair whatever I did, so you know i I kind of go gunslinger out there and i I do do whatever I want because. I can't hurt anything in my own environment. So you're and the so reachin'
0: tootin' virtualization admin. <laughs> that's right. I'm glad we caught that capture. <laughs> yeah. So I think what it comes down
1: to though is you know, the the managing organization, you know, the the CEO, CTO, CIO, however you wanna to lay that out, those guys need to be able to identify where people are going outside of their environment, whether it be for Dropbox, whether it be for EC two, um, whether it be trying to, you know, Zimbra, like if they go out and sign up for email through Zimbra or or if they're using, you know, anything external like Google Groups in order to help their group communicate. They need to be able to identify those things and then determine whether or not a solution needs to be provided in-house, what the value of that solution is, and then expand that out to the business as a whole. Mm. Um, You know, we, we had this conversation During our last week, John Troyer started a conversation talking about um, do IT professionals and and practitioners, do they need, how do they better align with business? Do they have to have an MBA? Do they have to, you know, what do they need to do to better align with business? And I think this is a perfect example, right? Because if IT is seeing people doing this, they need to approach the management and say, hey guys, we're seeing people doing this because we don't have products for this. Mm. I've done a little research on, you know, products that are enterprise or the appropriate scale for our company, here are the costs and here are things. It's on your radar. Let's have a conversation about it because we may be able to improve other things and address potential security concerns.
0: Okay. Well, I guess the other side of this, if if we're aware of these potential roadblocks and that people are potentially going outside of Mm -hmm. the system to get them, what is it do you think or what things do you think are... Are stopping that kind of process, making it what's stopping as being more efficient? Do you think? Uh, Is it politics? Is it technology? Is
1: it? You know, I think it's I think it's the combination of all the things, right? I mean, you find success in stuff once you get a balance across, you know, your expert, your knowledge of a technology, the technology's capability, your ability to identify your needs and how those needs you know, map out to the business and what benefits you're pr- trying to provide and and being able to find that, that balance of getting all those things in place so that you can, one, know what you need to do to implement and, and operate, two, know how to you know, get the business on board and, and everybody that you're trying to improve and make sure that you're improving those processes and getting those technologies in place. And and getting that balance across the board because you look at some a lot of the technologies that are out there and they're phenomenal but which ones are the ones that are most widely adopted well the ones that are easy why do people use dropbox because it's easy you sign up for an account you load a little application on your computer and you dump stuff in a folder. You share it out. It's done. You're doing it almost exactly the same way that you do with internal sharing, right? When you're using your trusted shares inside of your network to share internally. But that functionality isn't available externally. I mean, most organizations, their external sharing capability is email or FTP. Hmm. And so, some places may have you know a site where they can post documents on an, you know, you go HTTPS, log in, and then you get access to, to download documents, which is Dropbox. But, you know, it, it really goes to show that if people are using Dropbox, there's clearly a need for some kind of file sharing mechanism. Mm. And, you know, this is not intended as a tie-in to, you know, Project Octopus or was it Horizon Data um, per se, but it does highlight the fact that if people are using Dropbox, they're having frustration and being able to do what they need to do. And that's a business process that IT and the management of the of the organization need to recognize and communicate on to find a solution for.
0: Now the other question I want you to ask, and I'm gonna make this a bit more directed to see what your response is, is that is do you think the problem that we have or the challenges we have are to do with the way we're structured? I mean we have network teams storage teams, server teams, desktop teams. We have these silos of expertise which are related to silos of certain technologies. Is that part of the problem or is it part of the solution? Well
1: the the main advantage of the silos is that you have people that are able to carry an expertise on the products and the and the equipment and the technologies that you have on site right mm-hmm. i mean i can't possibly know everything there is about storage i can't possibly know everything that there is about networking in, in fact i'm borderline rubbish on networking in a <laughs> lot of respects i mean it's just i I, I have I've got a known, very good
0: networking question for you later. <laughs> oh, good. I'm very glad.
1: Um, you know, I mean, I, I, I do pretty well. I can troubleshoot. I understand that this cable goes to here. You know, you have to have the connections, right? But I depend on those other silos, right? I depend on the networking team. I depend on the storage team to provide me information that I need where the challenges come in and and I've seen this, you know, grow exponentially as I become more of the guy and the only guy to the guy who is part of a team where there are silos to, you know, a large organization is that the expertise is there but getting that communication and understanding the right questions to ask and then the other side having the right tools to provide that information. I think that's where the breakdown comes down, right? So where I really see us, us moving as virtualization and cloud and software defined networking goes, is that that visibility and being able to have you know a cloud jockey like myself who is trying to to understand and you know operate the entire stack, being able to have visibility across that stack. So that I can more quickly identify where issues are, where rooms for gain are, you know, being able to understand like the entire environment with a full view without having to be an expert at every single layer.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've sometimes, you know, in our industry, there's always been this tension about career wise. Do you specialize in a narrow area yeah. and expose yourself to the risk of that technology maybe not progressing and not becoming mainstream or do you make yourself a jack of all trades and the problem with that phrase is the phrase jack of all trades is followed by master of none and as if as if there's a a problem in not being a master in something i think in our own uh, industry and in our community generally we kind of worship the the guru knows everything about the angels that can be fit on the top of the pin of a head as the you know the font of all knowledge but we don't I don't feel that as an industry or as a community, we extol the values of a jack-of-all-trades whose main power and main benefit is this individual knows how things are connected, how they interoperate right. with each other, what the dependencies are, and that uh, looking for the solution prob- for a problem over here is actually going down a rabbit hole because the problem lies somewhere else. As you said, the difficulty is if you have the visibility for that. But uh, on the previous podcast, we had uh, a chap on who was, they'd got Cisco UCS into their environment, you'd be pleased to hear. Um, I don't think they'd really decided on the, the storage at that point. So it sounded like it was a, a direct purchase from Cisco rather than from like VCE, because they were a bit sure. open on the storage side. But then management took the view that the, this new system, which was uh, switches, servers, and storage as a single package, now needed teams of people who would manage that as a single entity. Like, don't manage the network, don't manage the servers, manage this block without using, mm-hmm. a, without using a vendor's product term, this, this stack or block, manage it. And what I right. thought was interesting, though, was that it was management's decision to go down that route wasn't based on a frustration with the, uh, the way people were structured, but they saw the technology had changed so much that they had to change the way the individuals work to suit the technology. Now, that's right. something that we have seen in the past, that technology comes in and it's such a game changer that it then forces us to create a new kind of admin. And we've been saying for a while, is there a, a, such a thing as a virtualization admin? Is that something you think needs to happen to get the most value out of these stacks? Do we need to restructure the, our organizations or are we happy with the, the structures that we have at the moment? Well,
1: you know, anybody that's looking to succeed in in virtualization and cloud, you know, you look over the last three or four years, especially, you know, people have had to make dramatic changes in, you know, what their knowledge is. I think one of the advantages that I had starting out is that I was the guy that owned everything there for a while. And then, you know, but I didn't know everything about our environment until much later, right? I mean, I had to learn those things. And then I, I moved into another environment where, you know, I didn't have to know to full detail, and but I have to, you know, as a you know as a virtualization admin, you know, you have to understand how all those components are interconnected, you know, because as VMware progresses and as you know, cloud computing and you know software defined data center starts to pr- progress, you, know, you get more and more layers of abstraction, and if you do not understand how those abstract layers actually connect and interoperate. You just now have a mess, something breaks, you have no idea where where to look right and you know one of the challenges I've seen over over time is operationally speaking because again I'm an operations guy right so operations operationally speaking, you know, as you get these abstraction layers, it gets a little bit more challenging to be able to identify where a problem is located and how to resolve that issue. And I'm, I'm happy to see that there are more and more tools hitting market that kind of make that a bit easier to be able to identify, that it can map these relationships, it can aggregate this data that, that in that block, that structure that you, you outlined, you know whether it's FlexPod, whether it's uh, vSpecs, whether it's um, VCE, vBlock, you know, regardless of how you have your structure built, generally most organizations have a defined design that they go with and being able to understand all those layers and how they interconnect. I mean that's the skill that people need to have, mm. not necessarily being an expert at every single component. I'm not an expert on UCS. I'm not an expert on networking and I'm certainly not an expert on storage. Well, but are I you're an expert some... on them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well where my success has been is that I know enough at each layer and each technology that I can communicate with those people when I have an issue, when I'm looking to adopt new technology, like we can speak the same language, right? I'm not simply saying just give me some uplink ports and that's all I care about, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm able to talk about what I need with VLANs, uh, how my traffic's going to be, I'm able to actually have that conversation. And I think that's the skill that people are really needing to push, is to be able to understand how to have conversation. If you're going to have siloed teams, you have to be able to communicate with those siloed teams. Mm. If you're going to have a single like infrastructure team that's non-siloed, then communication within that team, there are going to be people who have stronger expertise on each technology, and they need to really work together to cross-train so that as a whole, they can build up so that that one guy who isn't the really big storage guy isn't getting called every time there's a storage issue, right? Mm -hmm. Because nobody wants to be that, right? Uh, It's a a means of bringing the entire team up as a whole and then having certain people focus on certain components. I mean, I've seen that be very
0: successful. Sure. Now, when we were talking offline, uh, Josh raised uh, an issue which could be quite contentious, but heck, what's the fun in having a conversation if you can't have a contentious uh, <laughs> uh, question? And it was it was to do with the kind of rapidity of these TikTok releases that VMware is doing, you know, vSphere yes. 5, 5.1, whatever the next release is called. I wonder what that 5.1S. might be. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, S. This, the, uh, the the have you, have you noticed that the the numbers edition. are
1: starting? Yeah, the numbers have now gotten in sync with iPhone releases.
0: Right? <laughs> I'd thought of that actually. It was we're, funny. We're, we're, on, hitting, we're getting in sync. <laughs> on um, on the uh, podcast the other night with John Troyo was we saying that um, some of the new features in vSphere 5.1 are specifically focused at VMware View, mm-hmm. and. Uh, View won't be able to leverage those features until it gets a new iteration. So I was joking. Well, we'll have to call it View five dot one because everything has to be numbered up in a line. You know, we can't have yep. so. And somebody said, how about five one 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 one? You know, I said, surely that's somebody's IP address somewhere on the internet. Five dot one dot one dot one. I had uh, to ping it. <laughs> what their subnet mask might be. But um, yeah. I, I mean. I'm trying to articulate something on your behalf, and really, you're a grown man, you can do it for yourself, so hold, hold forth on this TikTok release strategy that's, that's happening. Sure. Um, you know,
1: we're really excited you know, in our organization about all the new features with 5.1, but it, it takes a lot of energy to move from 4.1 to 5, and then 5.0 to 5.1, and the time to adoption you know the time it takes from general availability to being able to qualify that because I mean you can run this stuff in lab during beta code but it's beta code I can't tell you how many times they remind you things can change Mm. Um, you know until it comes GA at GA you then have to qualify it verify Mm. that you know in our case with UCS make sure UCS runs with it are there any nuances and you know as we were talking about the the new layers you know especially as we start moving towards a more software defined uh, environment you know, those compatibility matrices are are expanding and they're getting a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging and considerably more complex. And being able to align to make sure you have the correct hardware, the correct software, the correct version of, in, in our instance, like Nexus 1000v, making sure that the vSphere stack, the Nexus 1000v stack, the VSG or the vShield matches up and you, you hit the nail on the head with um, VMware View. Right, great. Five dot one is really big on view, but view's not ready. Well, this has been happening, right? And I, I know they're getting better, but your rate of adoption becomes very slow because you have to wait for all of these components to to get in line. Mm. And by the time that happens, you're at update one, right? So I know a lot of organizations that they don't even look at the new product until until it hits update one. Well, update one usually comes out in around February. I love that that's predictable. I was very excited when Moritz made the announcement. I think it was last year at VMworld that they were going to a, a more defined TikTok lifecycle. But you know, knowing that that's the case, you you have a really short period of time to be able to get it qualified, and but you're at the mercy of all the dependencies in order to be able to make that a reality. Sure. And by the time everything rolls out, well, five dot one's out, and we're yeah. You know, now, and you know, and and what ends up happening is now your your organization's looking at you and you know, like, guys, we've been needing this feature set. Let's get this rolled out. And you're
0: like, well, we're. <laughs> I, think, I think, in fairness to us, I think we uh, there's been some real changes in the way that products are delivered. So we have this concept of the train, where the platform comes and then other products come very quickly behind. So mm-hmm. when the GAs happened. Last week, I had 16 or so emails. We're pleased to announce the GA of this. We're pleased to announce the GA of this. So everything sort of arrives in the station one after another uh, over a space right. of days and weeks. That's uh, that's quite different, different, I think, from what happened with vSphere 4.1, where there was a marked gap between one race right. and another. But it, it's an extremely difficult thing to finesse. And get yeah. those all in a row. And I don't think VMware is alone in that challenge. Uh, oh no, definitely not. A certain competitor, who will name nameless, has a platform <laughs> that won't have a management layer until its service pack, and no, no management for it at all. But won't mention yeah. any names. I'm not going to go competitive. But I wonder what it what it is. Is that the pace of innovation is now greater than uh, customers' abilities to keep up with that? And I don't actually think this is uh, purely a VMware thing. I think the pace of software, oh, no. pace of software and technological development, is that rapid now that most large businesses can't keep up. But, well, I mean, look but at iPhone. Yeah, the iPhone, same yeah. thing. I mean, I I think the iPhone 5 isn't for iPhone 4 customers. It's for people who've never had an iPhone before. So my my uh, stepdaughter, she doesn't have a smartphone. She's seen other people have one. And she mm-hmm. wants one, she'll go off and get an iPhone five or an Android, whatever the latest generation is. Right. It's it's for her, it's not for me because the differences between my iPhone S and my iPhone five isn't big enough for me to want That's to right. upgrade. And you know what, I won't upgrade until either the iPhone four dies, or there is a substantial enough gap that it becomes a no brainer, or I suddenly find things don't work anymore and therefore I'm forced to upgrade.
1: So And I think, I think- I think organizations are doing the same thing with the software that they implement in their data centers, mm. right? Uh, and that's
0: so. I I fully expect. Nature. I fully expect that the future will be that we'll have some customers on uh, vSphere four point one, mm-hmm. who might miss out 5.0 and go straight to five one. Yep. There'll be some customers who come straight in brand new, never used VMware before. Why would they care about 5.0? They'd go straight to 5.1. And then there'll be customers who are in that gap in between on 5.0. Heck, when the next release comes out, maybe they decide to skip 5.1 and go straight to the next release. And it was funny. I was at a VMUG up in um, Manchester just a week ago, and somebody was making the point about vmware view <clears throat> and, he, and he said it's uh it's not ready yet there it's not compatible with yada yada and i said well excuse me for a second can i ask what platform you're currently on he said vsphere 4.1 right and i said how long will it take you to get to vsphere 5 or 5.1 then he said uh, about 12 months so i said it's going to take you 12 months to get to the new platform he said yes i said well by then view will be compatible what's your problem yeah. But I think sometimes we get fixated on X isn't compatible with Y, assuming that the right. everything, the whole lot, can be delivered in war one go, and then we forget. Right. Well, hang on, your own uh, platform changes. You know what they're uh, to do with? Well, they're to do with a brand new product, a brand new, brand new service that you bring in for a new project. So what you do is put the latest and greatest on them, because why would you put an older version on? Or right. um, your servers are falling out of warranty, or you're running out, with, out of capacity. So you decide to buy more kit, and you decide, look, we'll run in a mixed mode, and we'll put the latest and greatest on. So when I was when IT... Well, oh, actually, da- I see that a lot, actually. Yeah. So the I'm looking at these... Data the way I'm looking at it is uh, software companies have their own cycles, which is to do about their business. How do we make sure that we're constantly bringing out new features, Customers are not waiting three years for that new feature based on a much longer iteration of cycles. But of course, customers, their need to upgrade is driven by entirely different factors, which really have nothing to do with software development. So you've got these two uh, organizations that are running on different cycles. What I think is good about yearly release is if there is something that is a bit of a killer, uh, well, we'd really like to adopt you, but you're not doing this or you're not doing that. And enough customers have the same problem, then you're looking to less than twelve months before that issue can be resolved. Yeah. Rather than we'll have that for you in three years time. Yeah. Mm. That yeah that I'm doesn't create a against... happy and smiley experience, does it? You
1: know? yeah. I'm definitely not against the TikTok model. In fact mm. I'm I'm completely pro I'm for it, completely. Um, you know, I just it, it, the challenge comes in is that with the TikTok model, there's pressure to be on the latest, greatest as soon as possible, mm. right? Uh, and again, that pressure generally comes from the organization, but at the same time, there's also going to be pressure from your IT staff because, of course, they want to be using it. They want to keep their skills up to date. They want to make sure that they stay on top of, of the trends and, and make sure that they're able to derive value for, for your organization and, of course, for themselves. So, you know, it's... um. You know, I actually had a conversation with this with one of our VMware SEs. I'm like, God, you know, I'm, I'm really excited by the move to vCloud suite because it gives the implication, I hope is correct, that when you go to move to this new bundle, that this bundle is now compatible in a broader sense, and it makes that time to migration less. That's my hope. Um, the other thing is, is, you know, with the maturation of auto Deploy. I'm really hoping that that can then ease some of the headache of doing a migration. Um, you know, the 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 one difference is is with Virtual Center Server and all the changes that are happening with Virtual Center Server in the previous releases. Um, moving forward, you know, it, <laughs> it 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 makes some challenges. I'm very excited about 5.1 to what is going to be. I, I'm going to assume is six or whatever .next release is, is mm. uh, I think they're trying to address that. So
0: It's funny that you mentioned that because I've got an upgrade of vSphere 5.0 to 5.1 to do in my own lab, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering whether now is the time to walk away from the Windows version of the Virtual Center and go over to the virtual appliance. And the last big change is when I moved away from 32-bit to 64-bit. Now I'm wondering whether... Well, you were forced class. into that
1: one, right? You yeah. didn't have a choice when going from 32 to 64. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Anyway, I know that you've got a, a meeting coming up, and I'm giving you less than three minutes to get to that meeting, so I don't want to keep going. Ah, no longer. worries. That's fine. <laughs> but, Josh, thank you very much, uh, for, not a problem. Thank you very much for being on the, on the show. It's been really interesting listening to your insights. And with a bit of luck, we might have you on the, the VMTN podcast in a few weeks' time as well.
1: Anytime, just let me know.
0: I was really happy to be here. Cheers. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Mike. Cheers.